0: How are you this morning? It's interesting that when John wrote his gospel that Jesus told his disciples to have fullness of joy and that in them his joy might be complete. And at the beginning of the book of 1 John, John says the same, things to his, same thing to his readers. He says in verse 4 of 1 John 1 that these things we write so that our joy may be complete. If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to turn to the book of 1 John. Go to the end of the Bible and go in five books. This is the first of three letters that we have that we believe that the Apostle John wrote. And I think that uh, as we dig into this new study called What is Love? that we're going to find out different themes that John was compelling his writer, readers to know, and so as you're turning there, I want to I want to tell you that when I became a Christian, I was a jerk. No, I became a jerk. In fact, I wasn't very. It wasn't very fun to be around me. Now, you know, you share your testimony, and you know, you usually tell about your life before. You've got saved, you tell about your life when you get saved, and then you kind of talk about your life after you get saved. Well, I'm just telling you, I was a jerk. I became very self-righteous. Everywhere I went, I would carry my Bible. If we went to a restaurant, it drove my family crazy that I would sit down, and and I, I, I still do this to this day, sharing with waitresses or whatever. It wasn't what I was sharing, it was how I shared it. When I was at home, I was consistently acting as if I was better than other people around me and pointing out negatives in them. Because I thought it was my job to point out their sins so they'd get saved, right? I wasn't fun to be around. In fact, there was a guy I worked with, and his favorite word was GD. I'm just being frank. He loves sentence enhancers. Y'all you know what I mean, sentence enhancer is, right? Kids, it's the kids. It's the words your mom and dad say, tell you not to say. That's what a sentence enhancer is. But he would use the, he would say G D constantly. And so in my self-righteousness, I went straight to the Word of God. And I typed out one of the Ten Commandments that says, Thou shalt not use the Lord's name in vain. And I put it on a I put it on I printed it out and stuck it on the wall behind my desk. So then when he came in, I'd be like. What was funny though is that I was so staunch in my self-righteousness and so in, consumed with being right that I wasn't right with this guy. In fact, he wasn't right with me either. He had this position basically that he believed, well, you know, Jesus saved me and he gave us the world, so I need to enjoy everything in the world because God gave it to us, right? And so on Fridays when he got off work, he'd park his truck and he'd go straight to the liquor store. And he'd spend the weekend drunk. And then he'd come back to work on Monday. He was convinced that he knew who Jesus was. And I was convinced he was lost. But the one thing we shared in common is we both were full of pride. And didn't really care whether or not we connected with each other. Whether it was the the, the words I said or the thing I had on the wall behind my desk. I wanted to make sure he knew how wrong he was, and how right I am, and how good I am. I remember a guy confronted me one day. He said, you're just a do-gooder. And I took pride, wrong kind of pride, in that perspective. Pride is the greatest enemy where humility is your greatest friend. And as we read this book, I want you to go into this understanding that a lot of the things we're experiencing in our culture today was evident in the first century church as well. What kind of things am I talking about? Well, Let me, let me kind of read some, some, some observations about our culture and context. Everyone is right in their own eyes. Knowledge is a path to salvation. In other words, what I know... Saves me. Identity. Or my claimed identity. Is a path to righteousness. that make sense? If you if make sense. Just nod your head up and down. Okay. If it don't. See me after. I'll explain it a little more. Destroy those. Who do not affirm or agree with you. And the last thing Is. To take a moral stance today is immoral. To have boundaries is immoral. And that's what we see in our world today. In fact, this is the way I see it permeating in the church. Treat others the way I have been mistreated. Think of myself first. Forgiveness is an option. Morality is traditional. Standards are meaningless. The more I know, the more I have, the better I am. Church exists for me and what the church will do for me. Convenience and instant gratification are highly valued. And the catchphrase, if I have time, has become common. Now you're thinking, what does that have to do with the first century church? Well, in the first century church, there was a growing um, theology known as Gnosticism. And basically what Gnosticism taught was that material stuff, the things we see and touch, was inherently evil, but that the spirit was not. But what they believed is that material things and spiritual things could not coexist together. And so what they believed salvation was about was that they would be given some kind of secret knowledge something a little bit more than most common people would would get, and that that would be the path to self-discovery and therefore salvation. It's not any different than today's modern New Age movement, secular humanism, that teaches that if I can discover that little light inside of me, I can discover myself, defined by myself, and I myself can become a god. And this thinking was expressed with a group of people called the Docetists. That rolls off the tongue. Docetists. And they were existing in and around the time this gospel was written. And they were very much teaching exactly what I described. That material stuff evil, spirit stuff good and pure, but the two could not be cojoined. Does that bother anybody yet? Because there was a man named Jesus who was born... Of a virgin Mary who was fully God and fully man. He was fully spirit and fully flesh together. And so as we dig into this book, before we even get to the part where we're talking about application, we have to understand that John is writing this book to address these heresies that were beginning to permeate the church where they were rejecting Jesus as Messiah They were rejecting the finished work of the cross, claiming that they had special knowledge of the spiritual and they didn't need redemption. They didn't need atonement. Because what they would say was this. Jesus was born of Joseph and Mary. He grew up and at his baptism with John the Baptist, the Spirit of God came down and flighted on him, not in him, but on him. that make sense do this okay so therefore the messiah was an appearance that's where you that's where the word docetus comes from an appearance of the son of god so then when jesus died on the cross he wasn't really the son of man therefore he really wasn't dying a substitutionary death for you and me Because the Spirit of God never was in him. And so what these guys would believe is, Well, I have this special knowledge, therefore I am good. That's heavy, isn't it? When we open this book and we begin to dig into it, I want you to think of that in your mind. That John is writing to address really three major problems here. They're rejecting Jesus as Messiah. They think that they're sinless. And that's being expressed in how they treat each other. So we're going to talk about what is love. Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. I mean, Hadaway had something going in 1993 when he wrote that song. But I mean, we're sitting here today just going, all right, what's, what's love got to do with it? Thank you, Tina Turner. I mean, we, we're standing here today asking this question, what is love? And And what we're going to do as we begin to dig through 1 John is we're going to look at five different themes for each chapter. We're going to look at the theme of fellowship today. We're going to look at the theme of perfection. We're going to look at the theme of transformation. When we get to chapter 4, God is love, period. If we want to know what love is, we have to start with where God is love, the very definition of it. And then lastly, we're going to talk about victory and overcoming this world because it's this world that wants to convince us that Jesus isn't who he said he is. So I want to invite you right now. Let's stand, and we're, going to, we're just going to dig in. Y'all ready to cut your teeth in this? I'm going to ask you to do three things over the next five weeks. Number one, would you read the book of 1 John once a week? Could you do that? So at the end of this series, you will have read it five times. I'm a math guy. Five times. The second thing I want to challenge you to do is go to Walmart and buy up all the little mead notebooks that are about this big. Because you can put a pen in the spiral, and if you don't journal, I'm telling you right now how to journal. Read your Bible and make notes. Because God may reveal something really awesome to you through this. And thirdly, in your study guide, there is a key verse. There'll be one each week. I'm going to challenge you to go back to your Iwana days and memorize those verses. So by the end of this, you'll have read it five times. You'll have started journaling if you don't already journal, and you'll have memorized or re memorized five verses. Capisce? We're good? Let's do it. This is the, light, the message that we have heard from him, verse number five. And we announce to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. Yes, they agree. He agrees. God is pure. He's holy. He's righteous. He's other than. But if we say that we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, that's oxymoronic. We lie and we do not practice the truth. So for me to say, yeah, I know God, and I know God is light, but I'm going to continue walking in darkness, you're a liar. Then he says, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship, there's that word, fellowship with one another, agreement, family, and the blood material of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just or righteous to forgive our sin and cleanse us from unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, first of all, if I'm walking in darkness, I'm a liar. But then if I say I haven't sinned, I I say, God, you're a liar. And his word is not in us. Father, as we read your word, let your word read us. As we dig into this today, God, let us discover or rediscover a new experience of your love as you call us deeper into fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was a jerk, I'm a recovering jerk, by the way. When I was a jerk, I had a friend that I grew up with. We, we hung out in middle school. We hung out in high school. And we were really close. We had fellowship. Say fellowship. We worked together. We studied together. We cruised Gainesville together. Yes, I did that. I'm so sorry. We did everything together because we were friends. But I have to say to you and confess to you that when I became a Christian, he was one of the casualties in my life because I became too good to hang out with him. I'll catch that. Now, we I think we've made peace and, and we're now acquaintances, but I want you to think about it now. When we see each other, we'll catch up and reminisce, but it's been months since I've seen him. He may be watching today, and I may be in a lot of trouble. But I want you to think about relationships in your life and intimacy. There's a spectrum. And for example, like you could you you may have two, two brothers, okay? You may be close to this brother. And talk on, every day. You may have a brother that you haven't seen in two years. Are they still both your brothers? Which one are you more intimate with? The one over here with whom you have spent time and are sharing life does not diminish this one. You're still brothers. In fact, one author said like this, he said, our relationships with people vary. Some are more intimate, some are less intimate. Fellowship with God is a, mat, is a matter of greater Or lesser intimacy. In other words, it's on you. You can choose how intimate with the Lord you want to be. Or your actions can dictate how intimate you are with the Lord. When we speak of being in fellowship or out of fellowship, we are oversimplifying our relationship with God. For example, a child's fellowship with his or her parents is rarely perfect or non-existent. But somewhere it's between these extremes and it may vary from day to day. And so what John is going to, talk to his, begin to talk to his readers about is this idea of fellowship. And he's going to talk about light, darkness, fellowship. But then he brings in this ugly three-letter word called sin. And the truth is, is that if we want deeper fellowship with the Lord, we have to recognize that we are sinners and we have to refuse to walk in that path. Jesus said, you should, you should recognize the word light. Because Jesus' words in the Gospel of John was, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, it would be really hilarious if I asked David, Stephen, and Caleb to turn off all the lights in this room and the projectors and say, have a nice day, get out of here. You'd be stumbling and tripping. No, it's not funny. Some of you might get hurt. If the, have you ever been in a room like this and a power go out and somebody gets their phone out? <laughs> you know, that's the way I do, I do sometimes in the morning when I try to, try to be real quiet and not wake my family up. I don't do a good job of it, but I don't turn on a big, light, big flashlight. I take my phone and I go to an app that's got a white screen so I can at least see my feet. But sometimes I still trip and fall. The other day, I, we've got these doors. I can't wait till we buy a new house. I'm just gonna be honest with you. But my bathroom door opens this way. My bedroom door opens this way. And they open into each other. So there's been many mornings that I faceplant into my door. And it hurts. You know why? Because I'm walking in darkness. Ladies and gentlemen, there is point number one. There's a major difference in light and darkness. Years ago, I got to go to a, a children's camp I got to be the camp pastor for the Nevada State Convention, and the camp was in the Yosemite National Forest where the pine cones were this big. I brought one home, and my neighbor's dog chewed it up. I am so mad. It was an awesome souvenir. But it was funny because at night, I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, this, and this place is beautiful. I mean, you can't put your arms around the pine trees, and when you get done, you're kind of stuck because the rosin would stick to you. But I was walking back to my, my, my cabin, just nonchalantly in the dark. I'm like, I know this, I know this way, and I'm walking across this field, and I'm you know, kind of feeling my way because I didn't have a flashlight. I got home the next week, and I heard this news report where someone in California had been attacked by a mountain lion. I went, what kind of idiot was I to walk to my cabin in the middle of the dark, in the middle of the forest, in the middle of the Yosemite National Forest, i like, what, what kind of idiot would do that? I did. Because I went from being a jerk to an idiot. I guess it all kind of, kind of goes together. But the truth is, is that when we, when we begin to dig into this passage, he says, this is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is the light and in him there is no darkness. But wait a minute. I want you to back up to verse number one. And listen to what he says in light of what I described to you earlier about the heresies he's addressing. What was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have looked seen with our eyes and what we have looked at and, what's your Bible say? Mine says, touched with our hands. See, from that message, we have this gospel that Jesus Christ fully God Fully man, not 50% and 50%. He didn't like cut half himself off and then join it together. We don't like thinking outside of that. It's, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around, around the union of the divinity of Jesus and his humanity. Guys, do y'all realize when Jesus ascended into heaven, he still has his humanity. He didn't give up his body after he was raised from the dead. Right now, Jesus is still Fully God and fully man. You don't realize that's probably one of the greatest sacrifices Jesus made. That when he became Christ, Jesus Christ, the Son of God from heaven, emptied himself and came and became a human being that for eternity he changed. Not temporarily, for eternity. Because as the Bible talks about, he's the firstborn of the brothers, us. And as he is, guess what we're going to be like? Just like him. When we, when Jesus comes back someday, I know this is really hard for us to understand. These graves will bust open. And we will be raised from the dead. I don't know atomically how that's going to happen. It's going to be awesome to watch. I'm kind of freakish like that. I mean, that that kind of stuff interests me. I don't know. I don't know. There's not an answer in the Bible on How the resurrection is going to take place, I just know it's going to happen. And those who are dead in Christ will be raised from the dead. And those of us who are alive and remain, when he comes back, we will be what? Transformed. But here's the problem here. We're sitting here and we're thinking about this. And he says, that, and what he announced, that God is light. There's no darkness in him if we have fellowship with him, but we walk in Darkness. He says we're a liar. He says we body. You have propensity to sin. You are not sinless. God is calling us to perfection, but not perfection in our, in our person. Perfection in the way that he recreates us. And for us to stand there and deny either the light or the dark is a very dangerous place to be. When you look back and you see where he says, We touched him, it reminds me of, of that scene in that room where Thomas is doubting. And he says, Unless I can touch him, I can't believe it. So what does he do? Jesus comes into the room. And he says, Here, touch my side where that spear went. Look. You see that? Go ahead, touch it. I think it was important for him to touch it. Why? Remember, this is John's gospel. People were denying that Jesus was divinity and humanity together. And he had to show them that his spirit just didn't lift off, but his spirit was still inhabiting that fleshly carcass. And for you and me today, as we stand here and we think about this first point, that there is a major difference between darkness and light, some of us in our pride love that darkness. And what the world is trying to do is get us to deny who Jesus is. And you know why? Because if I can reject or discredit the source of information, then I can discredit the information. Y'all remember the book, The Da Vinci Code, that came out a couple of decades ago? That book was dangerous because it brought into question who Jesus was. If you can discredit Jesus, then you can discredit his commandments. And that's what the readers were being compelled not to do. They were looking at these these false teachers and these heresies. They weren't following Jesus' commands. Why? Because Jesus was a man. That was his commands. No, I've got something different. I've got this spiritual knowledge that's provided me my salvation. Listen, I know you're sitting here thinking about that. Well, that's the first century church. We do it too. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, you need to be careful what you listen to and what you read. There's a lot of self-help stuff out there today that bases itself on human secularism. I am my own person. That I am the center of my universe. When you, can, when you hear those things, it ought to make your skin crawl. Because what the gospel says is greater is he that's in me than he who is in the world. And he's drawing and compelling us to step out of that. Because when you live in darkness, bad things happen in the dark. Can I be, can I be honest? How many of you got in trouble in the full day of light or you got in trouble in the dark? Oh, come on, you slept with your brother too and you're in there and you're fighting, kicking and pulling. What are you doing to your brother? Nothing. Well, how's how's your mom going to disprove or prove it? One, because mama's got eyes and they've got ears and they know when things are not right. But bad things happen in the dark. In fact, I found this blog that said that the majority of violent crimes, this was just last month, happen at night. Robberies and murders. Nothing good happens at night. If, you, if you're a parent, parents, hear me. Nothing good happens in the dark. When the boyfriend leaves your house, you go flick the lights on and off till he drives out your driveway. What are y'all laughing about? Y'all know what's right. Because you lived in that darkness too. How many rock and roll songs were talked about parked cars? saying when do you sneak out you don't sneak out at noon you sneak out at midnight because bad things happen at dark in fact john addressed this in john chapter 3 nicodemus is probably one of my favorite characters of the new testament and in john three nineteen, he says this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil for everyone who does evil hates the light And does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as as having been wrought in God or produced in God. We are very proud of what we produce. But very rarely do we pass that uh, that attention off to where it should be and where it should go. You see, because when you think about light, like I'm standing up here in spotlight right now. You can probably see every blemish of the stuff I have on, the blemishes on my face, because I don't wear makeup, and I never will. I know some people wear makeup to keep the glow off their head. I want you to see the glow on my head. You know what I'm saying? When you step into the light, you're in a surgery room. You had surgery, you got all those lights on you. The doc can see everything. People don't want to do that. When you step into the light of God, everything's going to be exposed. That's why Adam and Eve, after they ate the fruit, they went, uh-oh, and they went and covered themselves, and then they hid themselves when God came into the garden. Because they were ashamed. They didn't want the Lord to see their stuff. They were ashamed of it. And so what they did, they went and hid in the darkness. You see, if you're in a dark room, a little light can be seen. It can be picked out. When the light is fully, fully lit, there's very few places that darkness can hide. And It's therapeutic. For you and I to stand in front of the Lord and say, Lord, search me and know me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Because that's the only way that that sin can be liberated. You realize a lot of times God lets you go through certain things, tests your faith, not because he doesn't know where your faith is. He knows your heart. He needs you to see where it is. And when we stand in conviction of our sin, he does so because he wants to illuminate things. He wants to direct us. He wants us to reflect on where we are, and he wants to give us life. When we live in darkness, we live in cover, deception, separation, vulnerability, and death. So we have a decision to make. I may think I'm I'm the best thing next to sliced bread. But when God invites me to come out of darkness and into light, he intends me to stay in that path. He doesn't want me to just come visit for a little while or get my stuff right or, hey, this trial's past. I'm just going to go back to where I was. He wants you in this path. And it's up to you and me to line up with that. Second point I want to make to you today is this. In verse number seven, excuse me, Alfalfa's coming back. Fellowship with God equals walking in the light. If we want to have fellowship with God, wherever our spectrum is, today you're on that spectrum You either feel very confident in your intimacy with God, or you don't have any confidence in your intimacy with God. But when he invites us to walk in the light as he himself is in the light, there's two things that are implied. Number one, we will have fellowship with each other. Remember I said this book is about my identity in Christ, who Christ is, but then how I treat other people? He's going right for it right here. If you're walking in the darkness, you're not in fellowship with one another. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's problems going on between you and somebody else, it's probably because of your pride. No, it is because of your pride. Swallow your pride and extend brotherly love to somebody else. And things might get better. No, they will get better. Applying a little forgiveness and applying some grace, hey, it may not be reciprocated the way you expect, but living in the light as he himself is the light should lead us to where we can extend an invitation of intimacy with one another. And then he goes again. He's addressing these docetists. docetists I told you it doesn't roll off the tongue very well. That it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses. They didn't buy into material things. They thought all material was evil. So then to bring up the blood of somebody, that cleans me up? Yep, it, it does. All throughout the Bible, there's references to sacrifice and be, blood being shed for fi- forgiveness of sin, Right? For sin to be covered. The whole mercy seat of the Ark of Covenant propitiation was about them spreading blood over the very thing that would take the covenant that was in the box and the presence of the Lord that was above, and there was a there was a barrier of blood between the two. And Jesus' blood covers us and cleanses us. When I continue to walk in the darkness, I discredit the blood. When I make choices. That don't line up with the will of God in the light, it places me back in the darkness. There is a direct correlation and connection with what I know about Jesus, what I see about Jesus, and how I treat other people. And God is calling his body to be above that. Jesus said to them in Mark 2.17, it's not those who are healthy that need a physician, but those who are sick. But again, if you're standing there going, I'm perfect, I'm good, I don't need anything, I'm telling you, you're sick. We're all sick. It's impossible to reach someone living in self-righteous deception with, with knowledge. It just isn't gonna happen. They have to have an experience with the love of Christ. And in that love, I find fellowship. The issue with walking is not Are you walking? It's where are you walking and how are you walking? Third point I want to make to you today in the last three verses is this. Deal with sin in order to increase your fellowship with the Lord. Look again at verse number eight. He says, if we say that we don't have sin, we are deceiving ourselves. If you tell a lie to yourself long enough, you'll start to believe it. That's why your self-talk is so important. If you stand in front of the mirror and say, I'm ugly, I'm ugly, I'm ugly, I'm ugly, eventually you'll start believing the lie. Now, I'm not saying stand in front of the mirror and say, I'm going to be president, I'm going to be president, I'm going to be president. That's not how that works. But your words matter. But not, verse number 9, listen to what it says. If we confess our sins, faithful is he and righteous to forgive our sin and cleanse us from unrighteousness. When I became a Christian, this verse. Came one of the verses that number one I memorized, but I live by. It changed my prayer life because every night before I would I would go to sleep, I would say, "Lord, search me. I'm confessing my sin to you right now and asking you to cleanse me." Now I'm the one who self-deprecates and puts myself down, and I'm I'm the one who have the more the greater tendency to say, "Well, how could God love somebody like me? How could He forgive somebody like me?" He does. And you know why? Because he invites us to this word that you probably haven't heard in a while. And it's a word that's very powerful and it needs to be practiced. It's called repentance. Metanoia, it means to turn away from. Richard Owen Roberts said this, Repentance makes the path straight between the Lord and the repenting person. It sounds a lot like fellowship to me. Repentance is like clearing a highway of holiness to and from God. And so we pray like... David said in Psalm 26 to examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. So how do we deal with our sin? We confess it. We confess it and we ask him to clean us up. We can't do it ourselves. It took Jesus dying on the cross to take your sin away. You can try to cover it up. You can try to ignore it. You can try to deceive yourself and say it doesn't exist. But as long as we do that, we will still be in darkness. We won't be in the light and we won't have fellowship with God. And that's the invitation for all of us today. And it reminds me of a parable. It's called the parable of the river by Max Lucado. And I'm going to tell this in a very short, short version. But there was a, there was a king who had five sons. And four of the sons, he, he told the sons, don't go to the river. But the four younger sons went to the river. And they're dabbling in the river. And all of a sudden, they get swept down the river. Really far away from the kingdom. With no way back. And they find themselves living among a bunch of heathens. And so they found a way to survive. They set up a camp and slowly, one by one, each of them went a separate way. The first brother took up with, with the heathens and built, built a hut and began to live among them. One of the brothers began to condemn that brother in judging him, saying, look how despicable he is. And the third brother, beat down with shame and guilt, got in the river and started stacking rocks, saying, I'm going to build myself, I'm going I'm to prove to the Father, I'm going I'm to make my way back. The youngest of the four just sat by the campfire. One day, the old, oldest brother shows up to rescue them. Here he is. He's shown up, and he finds the camp, and he see, finds the youngest brother and says, Hey, where's your brothers? And he begins to point them out. And so the older brother goes down to the hut. And he says, Hey, I've come to take you home. He's like, I don't know who you are. Get away from me. This is my, this is my castle. He's like, It's not a castle. That's a hut. And the heathens were going, no, he's trying to take your hut. He's trying to take your hut. And he, and he, and he pushes him away. So he goes to the second brother who's up on the hillside and said, hey, I'm, I've come to take you home. And he said, well, look at, what I, look at what our brother's done. Look how bad and despicable he is. Well, I'm not here to deal with him. I'm here to deal with your sin. You went in the river. You didn't listen to the father. And he kept condemning the other brother. So he leaves him and he goes to the third one at the river. It says, hey, I've come to rescue you. He's like, no, I'm not not worthy enough. I've got to prove to the Father. I'm going to keep stacking the rocks, stacking the rocks, stacking the rocks, so I can get back to the Father. And he's like, no, I've come to take you to the Father. Well, he won't take me back unless I can prove to him I can get back. He said, you're going to have to have a million rocks to do that. You can't do it. And that brother throws the rock at him and makes him go away. So he goes back to the campfire where the youngest brother was. And the youngest brother says, "Where where are the other brothers? He simply says this, he says, one's chose to indulge, one's chose to compare, and one's chosen to try to save himself. One's a hedonist, one's one's judgmental, and one's a legalist. And we all find ourselves in those same compartments. And living in those things affects the way we have fellowship with the Lord. And my invitation to you and me today is this. Where do you stand with the Lord today? First of all, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't have fellowship to start with. Accepting that Jesus Christ is the full Son of God, fully God, fully man, who died on the cross to take your sin away. You can't take it away yourself. You can't demand and claim yourself sinless. You need a Savior. And I want to invite you to accept Him today. The second thing I'm going to ask you to do is while we stand and sing in just a moment, this altar's open. This altar is open. And I'm, I'm, I'm challenging everybody in this room with, with, for us to close our judgmental eyes because for whatever reason somebody comes to the altar, it may, they need to pray for themselves, they may need to pray for somebody else. But whatever their need is, they need to come. And we want to pray for them that today we could practice repentance and we could practice first, 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 we can practice first John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and He's just. Let's let the Lord be the Lord Of our life today. So would you stand with me as we pray. Father thank you so much. For your word. Thank you so much. God that you love us. And Lord what we've discovered today. And what we find ourselves in today. Is that love is just wanting to have fellowship with you more than sin. Love is wanting to have fellowship with you. More than we want to have our sin. But God sin is so good sometimes. It tempts every one of us. And whether it's just that immediate moment or whether, whether it's under pressure or fatigue or whatever reason we give in to sin God you still love us and God you want us to be defined by who your son is, who he said he was who the writer said he was and God you're inviting us to connect in the grace and the love that you've extended Lord we confess to you today that we are sinners and we thank you Lord that you have saved us out of our sins, saved us out of this world because this world is not our home so God we ask today that you would work in our lives and touch and encourage in Jesus name Amen